We continue our study in the book of James, and we will through the end of the summer. And it's been a, an interesting time for me as I've read the, the passage each week and, and thought about it and, and put a sermon together on it. And it's, it's a wonderful book uh, for practical Christianity. If you've missed any part of that, please go back and take time to read it and let God's Spirit speak to you. It, it's really, it's the kind of a how-to manual of how to live the Christian life. Today we're going to be in chapter 4. Beginning in verse 13, you can follow along in your Bibles or it'll be on the screen here for you. You've probably heard it said that if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. Now that sounds like good advice and there's certainly a degree of truth in that. But what we need to realize is the important thing is not so much that we have a plan, but rather that we have the right plan. Just having a plan is not going to guarantee success. What we are looking for is to have the right plan in our lives. And today, James is going to give us some very practical information on how we can plan, how the people of God need to approach the idea of planning our future. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, it says, Now listen, you who say tomorrow or today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. These people had a plan. People that James is writing to had a plan. Actually, it's a very good business plan. At this particular time in history, cities, new cities, were springing up all over the place. And it was a great opportunity, if you were a businessman, to go to these new cities and to kind of get in on the ground floor and start your business. It was a great business opportunity. William Barclay has kind of given us the illustration. If you can imagine this in your mind, a businessman, he sits down with a map of the ancient world and he surveys it and he finds a city and he points to it and he said, this is it. He said, this is where I'm going to go and this is where I'm going to open my business. I'll be in on the ground floor. I'll make a lot of money. I'll come home rich and I'll retire. Now, actually, that sounds like a pretty good business plan to me. But James argues that it's wrong to boast about tomorrow because we have no control over tomorrow. In fact, we don't even know if tomorrow is going to come. And we have a habit sometimes of forgetting that, that we are mortal and that God is the only one who is immortal. Still, I think it's odd to me that uh, you have a, a businessman here and he sees a legitimate and a legal business opportunity. And it makes sense that he would go after it and take advantage of it. So why does James say that that is so wrong? Well, first you have to understand what James is really saying. James here is not saying that we should never make any plans. James does not say that it is wrong to make plans. In fact, we should plan and we should prepare 
Scripture tells us that we should never be lacking in zeal, as one of the translation puts it. The idea that we should always be energetic and not just sitting around, just whatever, taking whatever comes to us, but we should have plans to do great things in God's kingdom. But planning before we act is what James, or it's not what James is talking about here, but rather he's talking about the right plan. And the point that James is trying to make is there's a right plan and a wrong plan. And our planning is wrong when God is left out of the equation. Our planning is wrong when God is left out of the equation. James is telling us, well actually he's warning us, of the dangers of planning without God. James does not condemn business. James does not condemn wise businessmen. James does not condemn planning. But rather what he is talking about here is the tendency to make plans without God. John MacArthur refers to people who make plans without God as practical atheists. And the definition of a practical atheist is those who live their lives and make their plans as if God did not exist. Those, he says, are practical atheists. And the real danger is that that kind of behavior is inconsistent with a saving faith. Because those with a saving faith submit to God. When you came to Jesus Christ the first time, you submitted yourself to God. And the idea is, as you go through your life, you are to continue to submit yourself to God. But to come to God and then plan your life as if God doesn't exist is inconsistent with that saving faith. But yet today, in spite of the warning that that we have here from James... Whether it's in business or life in general, all sorts of people make all sorts of plans and leave God out of the equation. They think they control their destiny. They think that that God really doesn't have a part in what they're planning for their lives. But maybe we have a little trouble on kind of grasping that. Why? Why Why would anyone think that, that they wouldn't need God in their plans? And to some people, that's foreign. But at the same time, there are a lot of people out there who really think they don't need God. They think they are the ones who are in control of their future. And if you think about it, it's what you hear from our culture all the time. All the time, every day, in all sorts of ways, you hear that it's your life, it's your destiny, it's your body, it's your choice. You are in control of everything and in everything, and nothing has any consequences. That's what we hear every day. In very blatant ways and in very subtle ways. It's a theme of our culture and sometimes it's a theme in the church. And it's a dangerous theme because that's not what God intends for us. We, Scripture says, are bought with a price, those of us who follow Jesus Christ. We're bought with a price. We're not our own is what Scripture says. So if we are not our own, that means really no part of us is our own including our reasoning and including our planning. And the great error of this self-sufficient person who wants to live their life without God is the idea that they can handle their own affairs. Not just plan their own affairs, but they think they've got everything under control. And that's a very prideful attitude. And James told us earlier that God opposes the proud. In other words, God actively opposes those who are proud. 
So if you have this attitude that you're in control, I make the decisions, nobody else, including God, is going to tell me what to do. I'm going to make my own plans. That attitude is prideful. God opposes the proud. So that attitude is inviting disaster. It's inviting disaster in your life because your plans are not going to succeed if you're prideful and if you leave God out of the equation. But I know a lot of people will say, well, now, wait a minute. I know some people who don't believe in God. They're not Christians. They've never followed Christ. I know people who are evil. And they're out there and they're very successful. That's true. And you wonder, well, but if God opposes the proud, how in the world did those people get where they are on their own and without God and without including God in their plans? But really to ask that question is kind of to betray a view that this life is all there is. We're taught as believers in Jesus Christ that this life isn't it. So when we look at people who are out there doing evil things and getting rich all the time while they're doing it, and if we wonder how in the world that can happen, actually that shows a, kind of a misguided, narrow view of possessions and of the world. Because life isn't all there is, and everything that we accumulate here in this life is only temporary. It's only temporary, and we need to focus on the eternal. Because yes... Many wicked people prosper today. They do. And yes, there are many who reject God totally and have a lot of money, live in beautiful houses, and drive big fancy cars. And there are a lot of people who are involved in criminal activity who are rich. So it looks like the proud are doing pretty good. But we as believers have to get away from this idea that somehow that disproves what James says. Because eternal riches are a sign of God's blessing. Eternal riches are a sign of God's blessing. Not material riches. Not earthly riches. Because if you reject God, the person who is not a believer in Christ, it doesn't matter how much they have on this earth. When they die, it all stays here. And they lose their soul in the process as well. But for those of us who believe and who trust in God and who see God's blessing in the terms of eternal riches, then we're the ones, we may not have it all here, but I'm going to tell you, I'll forego this little time here on earth in exchange for the eternal riches that God has for me in eternity. So while people go around and, and you look around and you wonder, how are those people who, who thumb their nose at God, how are they doing so well? Don't worry about them. That's not your business. Your business is to take care of your life and to focus on things that are eternal and not what you have and don't have here on this earth and trust God to provide what you need. Something else that goes on when people leave God out of their plans is, is they're afraid. They're afraid of what God has in store for them. I don't want to include God in my plans because I'm afraid what God might have in store for me. Warren Wearsby tells a story about a, a young man that he was talking to uh, about 
a relationship with Christ. And the young man said, well, he said, I would give my life to Christ, but he said, I'm afraid. And Warren Wearsby said, well, well, what are you afraid of? And he said, well, I'm afraid that God will ask me to do something that's dangerous. And Warren Wearsby's reply was this. He said, the dangerous life is not in the will of God. The dangerous life is to be out of the will of God. That the safest place in the world is right where God wants you to be. Because the will of God comes from the very heart of God. And his will is an expression of his love. And when you live and seek his will, then you don't have to be afraid. Because apart from Christ and apart from his will, life is a mystery. You wander around not knowing where you're headed, what's going on. But yet when you're in the will of Christ, that's the safe place. Doesn't mean God won't challenge you to do some things that are challenging. Doesn't mean that God won't send you to some places that, that are dangerous places. But his point is that, that the security of your soul, the protection of your soul is safe where God wants you to be. So you need to not be afraid of God's will. But people say, well, well how? How do I know God's will? How will I know God's will? Well, here's how. How well you know and understand the will of God is determined by the quality of our relationship with Him. It's determined by the quality of the relationship. Think about it. How well do you know someone else? How do you get to know someone else well? How do you get to know their, their thoughts? And how do you get to know their desires? And how do you get to know their needs? You get it through a close relationship with them, with being around them, with listening to them, with spending your life with them. That's how you get to know someone. And it's the same with God. If you want to know God's will, you have to be in a relationship with God. And the closer you are in relationship to God, the more you're going to know his will. And if you're having trouble figuring out God's will, and if you think that you're just kind of wandering around out here, what you really need to do is consider your own relationship and the quality of your relationship. How much time do you spend with God in prayer, not just telling Him but listening to Him? How much time do you spend in God's Word? How much time do you spend in quiet, letting the Holy Spirit interpret God's Word for you and, and give you direction in your life? If you're wandering around not knowing what God's will is, maybe it has something to do with the quality of the relationship that you have with him. Because his will is there and it's available for us to know, but it depends on our relationship and our making the effort. Now, certainly there's some things that are part of his will that are, that are hard to figure out. And there are some things that take a lot of prayer and take a lot of discernment. But on the other hand, there's some things in God's will that are very plain they're uncomplicated. I'll give you a couple of examples. The Bible says love one another. That's God's will. Love one another. It's not hard to figure out. It's pretty plain. The Bible says avoid sexual immorality. That's pretty plain. So things like that that are not ambiguous, that are not hard to understand, we need to be doing those. But people will say, well, but, 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 David, what I need to know, 
I need to know about this relationship I have with this person. Is, is this the right relationship that God wants me to have? Is this the right person for me in my life? What about this job? I, I've got a job offer, and I don't know whether it's, I can quit my job and take this new job, or, or I have an opportunity to, to move and, and, and live in another place. Th- those are the things in my life that I need to understand in the will of God. Those are the things that I really, really, really need to grasp. And I understand that. And that's fine, and I appreciate the fact that you are really serious about that and not just making some knee-jerk decision about those things in your life, and that you are seeking God's will. But at the same time, don't neglect to do the things that are plain. Because what happens a lot of times is we're over here trying to discern and figure out all these these complicated things in our lives, and while we're doing that, we're ignoring the obvious things. And you can't do that. So you can't sacrifice loving one another while you're over here trying to figure out whether God wants you to take a new job or not. You can't ignore the things that God makes very plain while you're out trying to do the things that really take a lot of prayer and discernment. Which actually brings us to a whole other group of people. There's another group of people that James talks about and We've been talking about those who don't even bother to figure God in the equation at all. I mean, God's just totally foreign to their thinking. That's, that's the first kind of people. But this next group actually is equally as dangerous. It's in verse 17. It says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. These are people who know the will of God. They know the will of God. But they have chosen, they have consciously chosen not to do it. Now I would say this maybe is the worst category than the first one. But then again, sin is sin is sin is sin and there's no no degrees. But I will at least say that it expresses more pride maybe than the first. Because these are people who are actually saying to God, Look God, I know what you want me to do. But I am choosing not to do it. In fact, God, I really think I know more about what needs to happen than you. I'll confess, I've never heard anybody say that out loud. But we say that to God all the time by our actions. Inside of us, we know, we know what God wants us to do. But we are choosing not to do it. And in choosing not to do it, we're saying, God, I know it, but I'm not doing it. And then we go about and doing our own thing. And that's saying to God, I know better than you. We don't have to say it out loud. Our actions prove our attitude. And we need to realize, we need to realize something that is a basic understanding Of God's will. This is very basic to understanding God's will. Is that God's will is not optional. Following what we know to be the will of God is not optional. It's not a take it or leave it proposition. I mean, God is the creator, we are the created. God is the father, we are the children. 
God is the Lord. We are the servants. It's not up to us. It's not an option. When we know God's will, following what we know to be God's will is not an option. It's not an option for us. So, what happens to us when we disobey? What, what happens to us when we are believers and we know God's will and we choose not to follow it? What happens? Well, what happens to us is that we're disciplined. And if a Christian is not disciplined for his actions of resisting God, then maybe that individual needs to consider whether he is really a child of God to begin with. Here's what Hebrews 12 Verses 7 and 8 says, As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by his father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. God's discipline is evidence of his love, not his hatred. And just as an earthly father disciplines his own children, our heavenly father disciplines us when we are disobedient. Now, if the Lord's will is just something that we say, well, if it's God's will, eh, if it's God's will, a little phrase we throw out, then we've got a problem. Because it's not just a statement on the believer's lips, but rather God's will is to be a constant attitude of our heart. Following his will, knowing it, doing it, all of that should be a constant attitude of the heart. You see, everything in the universe works according to laws. I mean, God has set the universe in motion, and there are certain laws that are present, and they apply to everything in life. And if you go along with those laws, everything is fine. If you go counter to those laws, there's a disaster. Now, let me give you an example. There are laws related to flight, okay? Now, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a physicist. I'm not an engineer. I'm not any of those things. I don't understand all of this. But here's the thing. I know that there are laws that govern flight. And when I get on that big plane, I don't understand how that plane that weighs, I don't know how many tons, with all the extra people and with the baggage and everything, I don't know how that thing gets off the ground, much less stays in flight. I don't understand all of that, but I know that there are laws that govern it, and there are people who designed that airplane that knew about those laws. And so they followed those laws to a T so that plane would fly. If the manufacturer or if the mechanics had cheated on any part of it, either that plane would not have gotten off the ground or it would have crashed because you can't modify those laws of flight and expect something to fly. It's just not going to happen. There's going to be a disaster. And it's the same thing in life. God has given us very plain and simple directives related to his will. I mentioned love one another. If you really follow that, if you really follow that 
Imagine how much better your life would be. If, if you really loved everybody as, as Christ loves you, how much better would your life be? Then you wouldn't be holding grudges against people. You wouldn't be out to get somebody else. Just imagine how much better your life would be. But as long as you keep not loving someone, your life is never going to be what it's supposed to be. No matter how hard you try. It's never going to be as it's supposed to be because that's what God has set forth in His will. That's His design for us to love one another and life is never going to be what it's supposed to be unless you love one another. I mentioned about sexual immorality. God has a plan. He has a plan in place for sexual relations between a man and a woman. He has those in place. When they are followed, things go the way they're supposed to be. If not, things go awry. All of the things that God puts in there, though, are for our good. He's not just trying to be this difficult God who's out there trying to put a bunch of stuff together for us to follow just to make our lives miserable. No, it comes from his love. He's looking out for our good. He knows if we follow these things, our lives will be what they're supposed to be. But if we're disobedient to those, it's not that God is up there with a lightning rod trying to zap us when we step out of line. They're just natural consequences for not following his plan for our lives. We need to be careful. Now, there are things related to the laws of nature. There are things that God has put in place. There are things related to God's will that he has put in place, which apply to all of us. I mentioned the love one another and, and all of those. Those apply to all of us. But you want another really neat thing? God also looks at us individually. And God has an individual plan for your individual life. Your individual life has its own plan within God's will. He has designed it. He's tailor-made it just for you. And the reason he did that is because he wants your life he wants your life to be extraordinary and what it's supposed to be. So he's designed a path for you. And as long as we seek whatever that, that path is that God has for us, as long as we seek it and as long as we try to follow it, then our lives are going to continue to be what God wants them to be. And if we stray from that, then our lives are never going to be what God wants them to be. But how wonderful it is that God doesn't just throw out these kind of universal laws and say, live with it. But he designs for each of us a very specific will and a very specific plan for our lives. So as you go through your life, don't ever, don't ever just sit around. It's okay to make plans. But you need to include God in your plans. You need to let God design your plans. When you know the will of God, you need to do it. Your life is never going to be what it was supposed to be until you do it. All the while knowing that it comes from his love. And he wants you to live a life of fulfillment and a life of joy. And it only comes from following his will. And trust me. The eternal rewards that are waiting for those of us who do far outweigh, 
far outweigh any problems that we might have along the way. Because when we're in God's will, even though we have trouble, He's with us, and He'll strengthen us, and He'll guide us, and He'll support us. And at the end, we spend an eternity with Him. Follow God's will for your life. Don't neglect it. Don't do it alone. It won't work. Let's pray.